fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies. Now, this is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology, and we make it a reality. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn, with me, the physics phenom, Dr. Michael Dennett. Dan, it is awesome to be here. I think this is the episode that is going to test me the most. Um, I, I do have convictions on the apocalypse, but I have even stronger convictions that everything is part of nature and natural, and there is no such thing as man-made. We'll see if I can hold to that belief through this entire episode. <laughs> I will tell you, that may be a fluid concept that we may have to adjust, and there will be plenty of fluid in this episode. And we have the master of fluid here, and that is our enigmatic engineer, Ben Siebser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, I finally settled into into my new lab that I've dubbed the Brain Station. <laughs> and from here, I can research anything. And so this week, I've been inspired by Ectolife to dig into the possibilities surrounding artificial gestation. Well, this is going to be a fun episode because I saw that same video. And I have to say that this may be one of the best pieces of science fiction we've ever looked into. Uh, so I'm going to put the video on our website. And if you haven't watched it, take eight minutes, check it out, and then come on back. And we will break it down for you. And we're back. So this was a video that was put out by a futurist by the name of Hashim Al-Ghaili. I'm thinking I'm pronouncing that correctly. And it's a video that profiles a fictional company called Ectolife talking about a gigantic industrialized factory farm for human reproduction. Now, the company doesn't exist the uh, technology <laughs> does, doesn't really exist, but it did give us a lot of fun vocabulary, which includes growing an organism in an artificial environment, which is called ectogenesis, and an exo-womb, which is a device that will grow a human baby. So this is pretty fun. I want to get initial reactions to this video before we break down the technology behind it. Well, actually, my first reaction is I am just thoroughly impressed that Ben was able to say the word gestation in one take. Um, and then I was just able to do it. Like, th this yeah, is a highlight for this show. We're we're not necessarily known for our enunciation on this program. No. And, and this no. episode is testing us full on. But I have to tell you, Dan, when I watch this video, I'm like you. Um, I hadn't quite thought of it this way, but I'm going to take a quote from you. I'm sorry. I think you said it best. I want to see the movie. Um, I, I, yes. I rarely am inspired by, by previews. Um, I mm -hmm. think this was an excellent preview. <laughs> well done. And mm -hmm. um, I, I just, it was, it was thrilling. It was like weirdly thrilling to watch. Yeah, it's a fantastic trailer for the dystopian future that inevitably ensues <laughs> by this technology being introduced. Uh, what about you, Ben? What did you think? Well, I think, as Sten said, you know, you want to see the movie, and I think, I think we'll get to it. There are definitely some movies out there that, you know, this is basically what's in there. But I think mm -hmm. what really made me think about when I watched this video is those poor uh, Ectolife employees who have to trudge up the stadium seating <laughs> of these uh, artificial wombs. Uh, yes. You know, if, if I was designing such a facility, uh, I would have everything on a flat surface, Mm -hmm. So that, you know, the babies don't need to see the bioreactor <laughs> in the middle and they shouldn't actually see it all. We should probably darken it. So it actually is like a womb, which is dark. 
You don't know that the babies don't want to see the, the reactors. We are human beings. We love excitement. You don't know what's going on there. Maybe this is good you for know, them. Perhaps, you know, maybe there's something to a baby being able to see out of its womb. You know, maybe that'll be some interesting extra developmental mm-hmm. knowledge that could be imparted. You know, that is a good point, Dan. I think so. What I really felt about it, Dan, one other thing. Yep. You mentioned the the, uh, the preview to a dystopian future movie. That is one way it could go. I, I actually felt this fell strongly in your genre of horror film. This really mm. had the feeling that they were building up to a classic horror film of some sort. I didn't know what yeah. was going to happen. I mean, dystopian futures are kind of horror films, but I felt... This was going to be much more of a classic horror film. And I was waiting for the clown with a balloon to walk mm-hmm. in to entertain um, <laughs> everyone. And that's why they were in a stadium seating. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. Well, I will tell you, I just did a whole episode on fascinating nouns about clowns. So I'm glad that you mentioned it. So if you didn't get your clown from this video, check it out. I'll put a link right in the description right above here. You'll check it out. Uh, but I want to tell you about a horror movie, Denon. I'm going to I'm going to terrorize both of you right now uh, with this little nugget for the future. And that is I am going to argue why this technology, industrialized (laughs) human reproduction, is actually going to save the human race. Uh, But I'm going to save that for a little bit later. So you have to sit on that for a little bit. But let's talk about what they claim in this video. Uh, A couple of things here, a couple of fun things I just want to start off with. 30,000 babies a year they claim to be able to produce. Tons of artificial wombs. You can even have, if you buy the elite package, you can have a designer baby. You can pick (laughs) all the traits that you want. Kind of like 31 flavors at an ice cream shop. It's just that easy. Uh, They do offer an app. I did like this. This was very inventive. You could have an app that would give you live readings of the baby, give you a picture, a a live video camera of what's happening inside that artificial womb. You could even pick the playlist. They've got internal speakers. You can play whatever music you want your baby to listen to. And you can even talk to your baby uh, through a speaker system. You can just give them a call whenever you want. Just (laughs) check out, see how, how they're doing in there. And if you really want that experience of having a baby inside you, but you don't want the hassle of having a baby inside you, you can wear a haptic suit. And when that baby kicks, well, you're going to enjoy that kicking too. And not just the mother can do that. You can have the father, the grandfather, grandmother, kids, the dog, anyone can enjoy this feeling. So this was pretty cool. And I think that this really encapsulates trying to have an artificial situation and still make those connections to what it's like to do it in real life. Yeah, it's, I think the, the selling of the technology, Dan, was fascinating to me because mm-hmm. they picked so many things were kind of getting used to in odd ways. And I think the app was the big one. Like for mm-hmm. me, it really drove home how many things I'm connecting to through an app. And, and just, you know, not to advertise a, a company, so I won't name the restaurant, but, you know, having to get food, having to travel in airports again and get food quickly just the, the ability to be on the app ordering the food and then going and picking it up and not waiting in line at the airport um, mm-hmm. was sort of a similar like convenience thing. Like that's pretty cool though. That's pretty cool, Dan. It's you pretty cool. Admit, that's pretty and, cool. And, and apps are like comfort food now. Like if it's not an app, I don't think my kids do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Like like you know yeah. that's the first question, and we struggle with that at the university. Right. Like we we always talk about how our students don't do half the stuff they should do. And it's probably because there's not an app yet. So it, it was really interesting that that was like one of their big selling points was the app. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I would never order a pizza by calling anymore because, you know, <laughs> you, 
you know, what if they mishear you? What if you forget to say something? You know, when you got the check boxes on the app or on the website, you, you know you're going to get exactly the pizza you want. And I'm sure it's the exact same thing with the baby. You're going to get exactly the baby you want if you can see all the options uh, and the check boxes on the app. Okay, Ben, I'm going to have to, the I'm gonna have to challenge yeah. you on that, Ben. Um, we, we have our favorite late night cookie delivery place, and we use the app every time. And it is basically mm -hmm. a random number generator, what cookies we get. Um, and we've, we've been very careful. So the app has to work at the other end, too. Let me just put well, it that way. Well, Let's just hope that Ectolife is more uh, responsive to what the what their order sheets say than what the cookie place does. <laughs> well, let's hope so. Well, I mean, this is, you know, what's interesting about this, right? And there's one other thing I mentioned. You can also put on a little VR helmet and see what it's like to actually be a baby, uh, which is something uh, I think we all want to do. Um, but 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 this is what's cool about this. And, and what's interesting to hear you talk about this, Ben, and even you, Den, and I'm, I'm surprised that you here, is that. We have, with the information age, we've created situations where we are more connected, quote unquote, connected than ever before, but we don't have any human connection. There's yeah. no, you know, Ben doesn't even want to talk to a person on the phone. I forget that, right? Much less going into a pizza place and ordering, which in Denon's day, people used to do. Right. Uh, if they had, I think they had pizza back then. But you, so you have this incredible system that's being created. And now, instead of, having the connection to a baby with, you know, j normal human reproduction, which is a pretty, I think we can all agree is a pretty intimate act, uh, carrying a baby around, pretty intimate. Uh, mm -hmm. You're connecting to your baby. We've separated all that. We've severed it completely. And now we're trying to reestablish that connection through technology, through an app, uh, through VR, you know, through a haptic suit. And I think <laughs> it shows that how we are still desperate for these connections, despite the fact that we feel compelled to sever them at every turn. Well, I think that's really important um, point, Dan, and people should go watch our technology evolution episode. Um, Absolutely. But also, I think there's some relevant stuff here. You know, we, we talked about the movie Upload in the past, right? Mm -hmm. And and it was an interesting situation where you tried to maintain that connection with people who are in the Upload world through haptic suits, through VR, through these mm -hmm. other, you know, elements. And I think it's this um, cusp or turning point um, in our society where we are struggling with, you know, how it, how separated do we want to be while staying connected? And is it really connected when you're doing it through these technology reasons? Or are we so evolved um, for the physical world? And, and we see lots of mental health and even physical health problems when people don't get enough sort of physical contact with each other. It, it's, mm -hmm. it's very new. We don't really understand it medically. Um, but it's, it's there. And it's something we really, I think, have to think about before we go in these directions. Yeah. yeah. I mean, the haptic suit stuff, you know, it, it makes me think of something we haven't talked about before, which is Ready Player One. And if mm -hmm. it's something you maybe want us to talk about, you know, leave a comment below, hit us up on the social media so we can uh, maybe get to that. But I think what's really fascinating about, you know, Ready Player One is this theory of, you know, you use a haptic suit and you're in, you feel like you're in the world. And it, it is this connection, but at the same time, it's not. And so I, I really do question if, you could ever really get the same kind of bond and feeling as you would actually carrying a baby. I, obviously, I've never carried a baby and I am not capable of doing such. Mm -hmm. But I imagine that all of this technology is just they're just trying to they're just throwing everything at the wall to see what, what, what sticks. 
And the reality is it's probably never really going to live up to the real experience. Well, I'm going to make a bold statement and say it never will. There's no yeah. way. I mean, absolutely not. <laughs> we, not. We keep trying to pretend. You know, and Denon, you make the argument that everything natural is artificial and everything artificial is natural. But I mean, even if you have a man-made device that is creating a, a human being inside this artificial container, that's artificial. That's not how it's <laughs> supposed to be. And when you try to make the, when you try to pretend that it's the real thing, well, just do the real thing. I mean, like that's you know, I don't, I don't think it's the same. Uh, you know, I think definitively it's not. But nonetheless. We have to talk about how this could be accomplished. And I think human reproduction at an industrial scale requires a little consideration. There are things to think about, which includes just the amount of energy and protein and resources it requires to take one baby from egg to full term, much less mm -hmm. 30,000. So th and this in this video, this particular system claims to be a renewable, self-generative, self-contained environment. So let's talk about how we can accomplish that a little bit. You know, I, I don't know. Um, ben, as our engineer, uh, is mm -hmm. some of what they're saying about it being self-contained, is that possible? Uh, I mean, partially self-contained, sure. You know, they talk about, you know, recycling the waste and all this stuff, which but they make it seem as if it's like a thing you do every once in a while when in reality, you know, waste production is a continuous process when you're talking about <laughs> gestation because the waste products are always coming out the umbilical and getting exchanged. Uh, so it would have to be this sort of continuous filter, not like this once every once in a while you flush your bioreactor. But I think the reality is it can't be fully self-contained because you need to bring in nutrients because you're losing energy and nutrients to the babies to make them grow. So mm -hmm. it can't be it can't be self-contained. There has to be some input. You know, you have to feed them something. Uh, yeah. But from an energy <laughs> yes. perspective, yes, it could be <laughs> renewable. True. You know, it could be solar powered. It could be. Yeah. Right. You know, wind powered, whatever. That part of it is reasonable. Mm hmm. And it did strike me, Dan, you know, this is a key thing of the marketing. It was amazing how much they emphasized the green and renewable. Um, and I think the energy sources, you know, we actually know how to do that now with solar, wind, and, and so on. Um, what I found fascinating, I mean, a thing I like to listen for is what I consider like science babble. Um, mm -hmm. and, and yes, there's a certain amount of recycling that they would do. I think that makes perfect sense. There right. is some use you can put the waste to. And it will take energy, and you can reuse renewable energy. But some of the phrases they threw in there on the recycling part were, were just things I think meant to sound really cool and make you as the buyer um, commit mm -hmm. to this. Um, and mm -hmm. that's always a warning flag for me. Like um, science that only sounds cool and has no substance behind it, um, it, it does make me nervous. So mm -hmm. I think there is a danger there. I think the resource part is, is a big part of it. Yeah. yeah, I think so. We also have to think about like, how does an artificial womb actually work, right? So you have these nutrients, and, and then there's this device that houses the fetus. And, you know, essentially, and these have been kind of been worked on since the 1950s, an artificial womb, mostly for premature babies. But, in you know, when we did our I Am Mother episode, which I'll link to as well, we talked about this group of scientists in the Netherlands who in 2019 were kind of creating these bio bags in this system. And, you know, like you said, it's, it, it's kind of... 
good stuff in, bad stuff out kind of a situation. You know, that that's mm-hmm. really at its fundamental core, it's what you want. You've got, you know, their particular system had these plastic balls with tubes for nutrients, waste, oxygen. You know, it's filled with a liquid for, you know, easy transfer and absorption. Uh, but you do have this artificial placenta that kind of encapsulates everything, which in this one I think is probably glass and steel. Um, <laughs> and then you have this artificial umbilical cord that's kind of, you know, plugged into them. Uh, plugged into the baby's uh, navel, so it's it's a it's a strange system, but that is not impossible, and in some ways we've accomplished that already. Mm-hmm. Well, I think the challenge. I think you're right, Dan. There's some level of accomplishment, not totally impossible. I think for me, one of the keys here is it's really, really, really hard to at this point know what are the key elements of the mm-hmm. biology of the womb. And again, this I read a comment in one of the articles we looked at that I thought encapsulated this very well. Humans are worried about disease, so they talked about it being a sterile environment. Um, the reality is a sterile environment would kill the baby, right? Because right. the <laughs> womb is not sterile, right? We're yeah. not sterile, right? And, and, and we know one of the favorite things on this show is gut bacteria, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about it all the time and how we're learning that that's critical, right? So understanding how to be not sterile in the right way is critical. But if you were <laughs> right. advertising this to people, you know, they'd yeah. be like, wait, what? There's bacteria in there? What are you doing to my, you know, um, future child? So I, right. I think it, it's there's a big gap between almost there and there. Yeah. It, and, and that's one of the fascinating things because the, your microbiome is maintained by your body and your immune system and all this stuff. And the beneficial bacteria are kind of allowed to live and the not so beneficial bacteria are, are hunted by your immune system. Whereas you're not gonna necessarily have something like that in the in the artificial womb. So the bad bacteria could explode and, and cause problems. So it, it's a really complicated thing. And you know, you're probably gonna have to make an artificial immune system <laughs> that lives in the pod to protect the babies and all sorts of stuff that you know, we're not really addressing yet, but would need to be addressed in order to make this a reality. Yeah. Well, also, you know, one of the biggest colonizers of the human of the of the baby is coming out of the birth canal. Right. Yeah. Like a, a woman's birth canal has a lot of their own bacteria. It's not a ster- humans are not a sterile environment by any stretch. And so that kind of is your first, you know, swiping that um, uh, the Petri dish. Right. Like that's your first <laughs> wave of bacteria that you can send those first bacterial colonizers in. If you're just, you know, as they say, birth at the push of a button, uh, <laughs> you're not it's not not exactly not, not getting that, you know, um, mm-hmm. especially in a sterile environment. Yeah, and what I think this goes to, Dan, I mean, I, I said at the top of the show, you've alluded to it. I mean, I don't inherently like to make a distinction between artificial and natural because we're all part of the same natural world, as longtime mm-hmm. viewers of the show know. Mm-hmm. However, I have never claimed that we can actually do things as well as nature. I think your comments on, you know, biology being nature's um, great scientific, you know, source of all knowledge. I've, I've you know, paraphrased. I, I believe I say that uh, biology is nature's technology. I believe Right. But, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm expanding on your idea. Sure, as biology okay. as the source of all great knowledge. Right. Yes. OK. What, yeah. what, what, <laughs> what right. we realize, that's why I had to paraphrase. It's, it's not going, it's on, that's not going on a shirt, but I like what you said. I like yeah. what you said. <laughs> no, it's not shirt short enough. Um, no, no. But, but, but the idea is, right, to everything we've pointed to is how well optimized humans are for actually generating more humans. And Mm -hmm. the gap between our ability to um, replicate that 
safely and the reality is huge, right? So there's nothing inherently in my mind different perhaps between artificial and natural. It's just this is one of those cases where I think artificial can't even come close to what nature does. That's it. And I will tell you that longtime listeners of the show will also know that that artificial man-made thing that I believe it is hogwash. Um, <laughs> so so uh, I think that there is a difference. And I think that this perfectly illustrates what's going on. Here's another kind of cool thing that uh, we, you know, Ben found this great article on Medium. I'll put a, a link on the website. And they had a great quote in there. You know, when you were talking about the nutrients in this biofilter, right? Where, right, where you have this system that's kind of giving hormones and, and protein and antibody and all this stuff. It's this kind of it's a panacea soup of, <laughs> of yeah. you know, uh, of nutrients. But they said that we don't know how that works at all. We don't know the yeah. amounts. We don't know the yep. timing. And they compared it to trying to make a cake if you're just given eggs, flour, butter, and sugar. And it's like, oh, we'll make a cake. And well, I don't know how long to heat it for. I don't know, you know, the like <laughs> the ratios. a couple of what. Yeah, I don't know the ratios. When uh, and to I think mix, that's when what, not to mix. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> like how how you know how bubbly does the batter have to be? Um, you know, these are. Are all things that you we consider for a cake, but we're not considering it for a human being. Yeah. However, Dan, yeah, even though there are great holes and things we haven't considered here, and we mm -hmm. have large disagreements about certain things, we sure. all can agree that yes. the most natural artificial thing in the world <laughs> is an F triple GPT mug. Absolutely, right? it, it is not. It is not produced by a biological entity naturally, mm -hmm. but it is perfectly natural. Um, to have one, use 100%. it, and it enhances your natural state every time you use one. And it's yeah. natural to want one as well, because I believe that it is both artificial and yet a part of nature, just like yes. you said. Yeah. Yeah. And well, and the beauty of the mug is you can make a cake in it, you know, in your <laughs> microwave, yeah. which, which unfortunately you can't do with the Fascinating Gadget's uh, water bottle, but right. you certainly can hydrate, which is important. Uh, for, you know, let's say you're, you need to live, you know, living's important uh, <laughs> right. and water's important for that. So, you know, get a water bottle so you can uh, drink some water and, and live. <laughs> Whether you're a baby or a full grown adult, you, we can always yeah. use more water w w without question. And we have dad, skin. Oh, yeah. Can I say one other thing there? Yeah, I, you might want to hydrate in it, but I wouldn't gestate in it. <laughs> Yes. No, no, I think that that's that's a great safety tip then. And I'm really glad that, that you brought that up. Uh, yeah. And I will you say do that you want your water bottle sterile. Yes, <laughs> yes, you do. Um, and I will say that we have skin. Right. And that's a natural outer protective. But there is a man made protector. And that is a T-shirt. And that will also protect your skin in a great way. And plus, if you get one at the FGGBT.com forward slash merch store, you can get all, you can get our little pictures on it and emojis or those great quotes that you mentioned, Denon, that we've yep. all said throughout, you know, throughout time. So check one out there and, and protect your skin um, by, by our man-made items that we know are absolutely a part of nature without, without question. Uh, but as you know, as we're talking about nature, you know, the thing that we have to really get into to here, guys, is, you know, this idea of being able to have a what they call designer babies, right? Being able to pick and choose kind of what you want, you know, like a 31 flavor. Some people like cookies and cream. Some people like uh, cookie dough ice cream. You know uh, what you want. If you want a three scoop ice cream, it's easy to do. Now, I'd say that if you go into an ice cream shop, much easier than picking jeans 
off of a list because all of our genes are interconnected. And, you know, like that article said, even if you're trying to to get someone's height, get find your baby's height, that's just a, like 70 genes that take care of that. It's a lot of environmental factors. It's not as easy as they make it out to be. And I think it could be a little tricky, as we've talked about in other episodes, to try to fiddle with that too much. Oh, I think this is definitely one of those big misconceptions in the current world. Um, and it is, you know, Dan, we've we've done this before. We're, we're professionals. Um, we train, and we train with a lot of improvisation practice and technique where mm-hmm. the answer is always yes and. Yes, mm-hmm. and. All right, you've, you've taught me that. I've practiced. And, mm-hmm. and I think this is a big one that applies, you know, there is so much about the nature versus nurture debate that mm-hmm. misses the big yes and. Um, a lot happens, obviously, from your genetics. A lot happens while you're in the womb. And a lot happens after you're in the womb. We are complex individuals. And mm-hmm. I really feel like that, that debate causes a lot of unnecessary stress and undue reactions. But at mm-hmm. the end, you know, it, 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 the thought that you could design a baby from just the genetics is, is kind of um, just not true. It's also <laughs> disturbing, but that's a whole separate issue. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, they, they mentioned it really well in that article. You know, there are some things we just don't understand about genetics. Like, mm-hmm. we can look at some things and, you know, we, we know how, like, kind of, we know how eye color works, hair color works, things like that. But at the same time, you know, height, we have no clue. Intelligence, we have no clue. And even then, if we did, your height has way more to do with how good your nutrition is growing up than it mm-hmm. has anything to do with your genetics. You know, the genetics probably just sets a ceiling. Um, but, you know, eating well throughout your your uh, your childhood is what you know makes you actually tall. And so to make these promises is just kind of ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> and so I think there's some some truth to it. You know, there's certainly some things you could control, but there's so much you couldn't. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, you know, when I, I try to eat in previous episodes, you know, I'm trying for a bunch of different looks here, guys. Um, but I was using facial hair early on. OK, mm-hmm. so for me, it takes about two months to grow out facial hair. Now, yeah. I had a friend in high school who, you know, at 16 was able he had a five o'clock shadow. Right. I mean, I don't know that you could pick a gene for, you know, less hair on your face, you know, just to make life easier for shaving in the future. Right. I don't Mm -hmm. know that it's quite that simple, Um, but I do like the idea of saying like, yeah, you know what? Uh, Shaving's a pain in the butt. I want to make my kids have a nice, easy shaving life. But it's not that simple is what you're saying. But we all sure wish we could do that. You know, yeah. I mean, that one could be. I don't know if there's been a lot of research into uh, facial hair quantity uh, and the genetics behind it. Yeah. Um, you know, certainly we know a lot about uh, male pattern baldness and how that comes about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but maybe, you know, maybe facial hair is the same. Maybe it's not. You know, one thing you probably could figure out is a way to make your kid not bald. <laughs> oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So you well, could you could fi- figure with this stuff. Yeah, Denim. Well, it, it does raise, I think, an interesting um, question for human society as a whole, which is we, we have two things that we tend to do, right? We we desire to improve ourselves in stuff, I think, that are pretty easy for us to agree upon, right? Mm-hmm. There are certain diseases we all agree are just bad to have, right? Mm-hmm. And, and some of those are diseases you get through viruses and bacteria. And for the viruses, we have vaccines. 
Um, for the bacteria, unfortunately, we don't have really a preemptive except washing your hands and staying safe. But if you get it, we do have antibiotics, you know, and we are learning more about some that really are genetic. And there are even ways now, right, um, to help with some of the genetic diseases. And then there's a whole host of other things that I think we don't even agree on, like what is what is improvement versus not improvement. Right, um, right. And, and more importantly, even if we did... We don't know, is it genetic? Is it what you do, you know, is it early childhood nutrition? Is it nutrition when you're a teenager? When is the development most happening? Mm -hmm. um, is it your social connections? You know, all of these things are very complicated. And so it's this weird tension we have. We love the idea of having what we want, mm -hmm. but we often don't know how to get it. And sometimes that's just even impossible. Mm -hmm. Don't tell that to an American. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> what are you talking about? Everything's possible and, and we can do whatever we want, apparently. So uh, I think that's a tough sell in this world. And that's going to lead me to where I think that this is going to solve some of those problems. But before I get to that, as my second teaser, let's talk about the ramifications of industrialized human reproduction. And mm. I'm curious, you know, good thoughts, bad thoughts, effects on the human race. You know, uh, Ben, I'm going to go with you first. You got a lot of brains behind you, um, <laughs> you know, so you, you, I'm going to get your take to see what do you think about this? I mean, I, I think the interesting thing is that, you know, they talk about how this could help people who are infertile for some reasons. And, you know, th there's definitely something be behind people who can't have children because of, you know, a bad uterus or other things. You know, this can help them. Um, but it's not going to help people who have bad eggs or bad sperm. And, you know, there's this interesting thing of mass surrogacy so that you don't have to have people inconvenienced, I guess, by pregnancy. I mean, that's <laughs> maybe a, a crass way of actually it is a crass way of saying it. Yeah. Uh, we shouldn't think of it that way. But yeah. the reality is it is tough to be pregnant. It, it's it, a it hassle, be, Ben. It it's can be very hassle. difficult. And, yeah. Yeah. and taking some of that difficulty out of the process could really make the decision to have a child easier. I mean, mm -hmm. granted, you then have many, many years of a child, which is also very difficult. And this does nothing to address that, which I think <laughs> is also something that needs to be solved before we yeah. go and make 30,000 babies a year per factory. We need, you know, good childcare and schools and things so that mm -hmm. we can handle this new influx of children. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a lot. I got you covered there, too. Uh, what about you, Dan? What do you what do you think about all this? Well, I will say the one thing that intrigued me about this, um, you know, we, we have our whole episode on technology changing how things work and everything. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the, the one thing that this talked about that intrigued me is the the mortality and risk of childbirth itself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, childbirth, particularly right. And 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 different countries around the world, both for the mother and for the child, you know, this is a non-trivial source of death and death mm -hmm. rates, mm -hmm. right? And this does eliminate that element. I mean, humans are a weird creature evolutionarily um, because right. of our big brains, right? Like the childbirth mm -hmm. issue is a little challenging. And, you know, that is one of those things I think most people can agree on. Eliminating death is a good thing, like, or unnecessary death. We can't eliminate death completely. It does yeah. eliminate happen. Right. right. Yes. And, and, um, and eliminating death completely might cause a population problem. Might but cause other problems. Conversation right. for another yeah. day. Right. Yeah. Right. So, 
So of all the features of this, um, that most intrigued me. Now, the unintended consequences, we often come up with technologies that solve one problem and look very good and then have a lot of unintended consequences. Mm-hmm. And, and I do suspect a lot of what was sort of Ben was discussing, there, there are some unintended consequences here. We already talked about how to get the nutrition right. Is the baby really getting in the right environment? Is this connection really being formed? So I, I worry that this may not be enough and that there's better medical solutions to the risk mm. of childbirth than the entire thing happening in an artificial womb. So, but it, but it was intriguing to think about. I think that was the one thing that I'm like, hmm, maybe this is worth thinking about a little bit. Yeah. Well, so let me, let me lay something on you guys, okay? So, you know, we've got a small population problem on planet Earth. Arguably, every problem that we're encountering is because of the runaway uh, population. And what we have right now is a system where Anyone can kind of, you know, do we all have the equipment, you know, we've got lots of ways to produce children, too many ways, as a matter of fact. And you would think on the surface, right, that a factory that creates 30,000 children might increase that population to an unattainable level. But hear me out. This is a perfect way to completely control population. Now, you're going to have to make a couple of caveats. You are gonna have to give up some freedoms a little bit. Um, but I think. What this need, if this was enacted by all the governments in the world and you had to apply for a child and you got one, you could have one child, uh, you know, you could replace yourself. You could do that. And I think if we were able to use this as a way for people to have children, but not too many children, right? You can't have 12, you get one. Uh, I think this would work. The minor caveat. This might be hard for the population to swallow. We might have to sterilize everybody so that we could really keep control. Um, Some people may not like that, I'm guessing. Um, (laughs) But if we could just get past that as a society, I think this may be a perfect way to at least get the population at zero, population growth at zero. And I think that we could really get a lot of the population dependent problems of our planet under control I think it's brilliant. It normally goes, this flies in the face of what I would normally say, but we have such a problem. This may just solve it. Well, you know, Dan, it's really fascinating to have this flip of our roles. Mm -hmm. Um, You playing the (laughs) optimist that um, actually passing laws and sterilizing everyone would go well. Like, I I, I have to admit, I I have some pessimistic views of that. And you may have just convinced me that the apocalypse will happen because (laughs) your your vision may come to fruition, thus causing the apocalypse as everyone revolts and and really bad things happen. So, um, you know, you know, Dan, I don't know. It it really depends on um, how AI feels about this. I think we need to run it through the AI algorithm and see what it models. (laughs) Um, I love it. AI is on board with this. Trust me, computers, robots, they are on board with this 100%. They're going to love the logic and the reasoning behind it. This is right up their alley. Yeah. I I think the question, though, is are you forced to have that one child uh, per person? Because, Mm. you know, the way you you word is you can get Mm -hmm. one. Right. But that's not going to replace society. You know, we're not going to be we're going to be net negative growth if we do that, because there will be people who choose not to do it. And so I think, you know, whether that's good or bad is also another question. Maybe it's good if we slowly reduce our population over time. But the reality is 
not everyone's going to sign up for uh, a kid. <laughs> yeah, but then but then look, look, but there are people who are going to want to have a big family, right? So we get the people who don't want children like myself with the people who mm-hmm. want big families. And there's plenty out there. Uh, you, you maybe do a little swapping. Maybe you can sell it like a, a you know, like a carbon credit. Yeah. And now I'm really worried about the apocalypse, Dan, because that's exactly that's exactly where capitalism creates the elite and the non-elite. And oh my God, I'm I'm having visions already of the, those movies where there's all the like rich people living in a platform above the earth, and everyone else in squalor on the planet. Um, you know, I thought the apocalypse but, you know, wasn't going to happen, Denon. I thought you were apocalypse proof. <laughs> I, I was until you had a brilliant idea. <laughs> uh, well, I'm on board with it. So let, let's say you know, maybe if that's not the use that you want. I think it's the most logical use, to be perfectly honest with you, mm-hmm. with this technology. But th- there must be others. Right. So what else could we use this for? You know, this is, uh, you know, uh, could we use this for generational ships? Could we colonize Mars? We just, you know, we just did a whole episode on Mars versus the moon. Could we just send a whole, you know, a whole colony to, to, of half-grown children yeah. to Mars? Is that a good idea? Uh, could we generate, you know, uh, genetic super soldiers? Um, yeah, I don't know. There's lots of uses. All of mine are fantastical. I feel like I'm coming up with a lot of world-ending stuff, so maybe you guys should should take a crack at it. Well, I do think, Dan, that your mention of the space travel is very intriguing from one perspective. You know, if we're going to go beyond Mars— um, and if anyone's read my, um, I mentioned it in our Martian uh, episode, if anyone's read my essay mm-hmm. on um, the future of humanity that got me into college, mm-hmm. um, I argue mm. that we will only save the human race with space exploration and colonizing you know, planets outside the solar system. Um, mm-hmm. If we're going to get to outside the solar system um, pre-inventing warp drive, um, we need slow ships and we need it some way to get there. You alluded to this. And this is intriguing because this technology might work better than putting people to sleep and waking them up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there. You know, that's not really a technology, I mean, that we really know how to do, um, despite mm-hmm. the science fiction movies that um, enhance it. Um, so this, this might really understanding, because you could preserve genetic material, I think, much longer and much easier. And mm-hmm. the premise of the video was you start with the parent's genetic material and go yep. from there, right? right? Mm-hmm. That's a much easier thing. And so you you have no people, you have the ship, and then when you get where you're going, or nine months before you get there, you right. start the people. Or maybe a few years, because you, you do the want people. them not to be, you know... <laughs> Hit the green buttons, get the, get the system running. Gotta <laughs> yeah. I, I think the other thing to think about is we don't know how being pregnant in zero gravity would work. Now, yeah. for a generation ship, you'd probably want artificial gravity. I mean, the, the ideal is you accelerate at 1G your entire ha- way to the where you're going, and you, you know, turn around your ship around halfway and, and essentially decelerate at one gravity. So you're, that's the fastest way to get there without experiencing too much gravity. But that's like fuel technology impossible. So we're not going to do that. <laughs> so you're probably going to have something spinning. Um, and, but the reality is we don't know how uh, microgravity would affect pregnancy. And this might be a very safe and reliable way to have a generation ship work because you could probably engineer an artificial womb to work in artificial gravity 
way better than you could reconfigure a human to make pregnancy work safely. <laughs> now, Ben's talking about reconfiguring humans, then, and I just want to point that out. I'm just saying I don't sound you so crazy after all. can't reconfigure a human, so let's use an engineered artificial womb to make our generationships work. Well, I feel it's an odd episode when I sound the sanest. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> when Ben and I are vying for a supervillain role in this one. Right, yeah, exactly. The, the, it has been turned over on its head. Uh, what if about what about using something like this to uh, to clone people? Like, let's say we wanted to figure out if we could recreate another Albert Einstein. Well, in this way, you could take that genetic material and create 30,000 experimental Albert Einsteins. And we could see which one created, uh, you know, that comes up with equals MC squared first. Well, since we already know that, that's not a fair test, um, Dan. But but you can test something else. Keep them in the factory. You just they only live in the factory. Oh, okay. So they don't yeah. know anything. No. You know, it, it is an interesting question how this connects to cloning, and and it's one of those weird things. I've always sort of wondered. Um, I mean, we've done a lot of episodes about clones and cloning, and when you bring that up, Dan, and you phrase it this way, it does make me wonder why we want to clone. That's a very egotistical thing, right? Like that mm-hmm. there should only be another me out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've talked about it before, you know, this is really where that that nature piece comes in, right? Mm-hmm. The genes only set a range, as we said earlier. Um, but there might be other reasons that I can't think of that a supervillain would want to clone people. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, I mean, we've seen it in, in, in the Star Wars universe. The clones mm-hmm. were a great army. Yep. Um, yeah, sure and, they were. And so, you know, there, there are, I guess, possible uses there that as an ethical person I'm not considering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All I know is I think there's no one is less likely to turn out like you than a clone you raise yourself. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's a T-shirt. That's it. Yeah, that's a T-shirt. I mean, the reality is you are who you are because of your parents and because of the way the parents raised you. And Mm -hmm. you're never going to be able to recreate that yourself, raising your own clone. Mm -hmm. So and and your parents are now old and wouldn't be able to do it either. And so... (laughs) Hmm. I, I it's just not the idea of cloning a human. Yeah, you can have someone who's a genetic copy of you, but they'll never be like you. You know, Albert, a cloned Albert Einstein will never be like Einstein because they're not growing up in the environment Einstein grew up in. Uh, it, it's it's just not going to be like that. What, if, what and, if and you know, Dan, we do have clones already and they're called twins and yeah. they do yeah. tend to turn out different. <laughs> exactly. That is very true. <laughs> Uh, all right, so maybe it's not ideal, but it's interesting <laughs> if you if you if you were a supervillain and wanted to run an, exp- an unethical human experiment with thirty thousand people. I think this is the way to do it. Can we at least agree on that? Oh yeah, we can. I, I you know I want to throw out one other thing that's a little too long for errors and additions, and you set it up perfectly with this statement. Okay, which is I think the biggest challenge with medicine like this in general, right, is even though there's some elements I think we we agreed were positive, you know, I mean, like minimizing deaths in childbirth, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, genetic diseases are something we'd like to deal with. Um, to get this right um, requires an interesting level of experimentation on humans and, and fetuses that is unclear whether we can achieve, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, the, the conundrum always in medicine. It's still a conundrum now. Um, you know, with animal testing, with testing on humans, like to get improvements, we sadly have to test things. And by definition, they may not work. Right. right. And, and I think that's hard for 
if you're not in the field, it's hard to remember that, okay, if you want the great advances of medicine, mm-hmm. there's not many paths to it. And that and that's a big challenge. Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think that that's something to consider. Uh, and I think that was the perfect length to end on. But let, why don't you roll right into our errors, additions, and omissions section? You know, we got to well, try I, it out, right? I mean, we got to. Yeah. There's only so many ways that we can transition into errors, additions, and omissions. Well, I, I got a great one for you, Dan. I suspect had you actually been the product of the Ecto Life system, yeah. you would have no problem going to movie theaters because as a fetus, you would have been in one. <laughs> and you would have been perfectly adapted to the theater setup. That's that it. True. That's true. Edition's done. I can't disagree with you there. That's, that's a pretty good observation. Uh, what about you, Ben? You know, Dan, I'm going to give you a little extra plug here because... All right, I love that. You know, Denon said, you know, we're optimized for making kids, but the reality is we still suck at it. And I think <laughs> about your conversation with Nathan Lentz mm-hmm. on his book, Human Errors, mm-hmm. which goes really in depth about how awful our reproduction system is mm-hmm. and how it's really a cobbled together, barely working system from evolution. Uh, mm-hmm. And again, this is an amazing, this technology, I think one of the best things it could do is reducing, uh, you know, mortality and things like that, because uh, pregnancy often goes wrong and this can really help with that. Yeah, I think so. And, and you know, you're the one who mentioned Nathan Lent. So I got to give you credit for even putting that thing together. I'll put a link to it so that people can listen to it as well and find out just how inadequate human beings are uh, <laughs> to living <laughs> as far as evolution goes. There are much more suitable animals, believe it or not. Uh, and I have no errors. I think I kind of nailed it with, with my population <laughs> control um, postulation, my hypothesis there. I think I, I kind of did it. But if you think that that's untrue or you've got some things that you want to add to that, Get in touch with us on social media. We're easy to get a hold of. The show is on Twitter at FGGBTPod, Facebook at FGGBT, and of course our website, which I rarely plug until I'm trying to sell merchandise, but that's FGGBT.com. That's where you can find the show. But of course, you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, you just flip my name. It's at Denon Michael, and that gets you, you know, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, if you're looking for me on Facebook, though, you got to stick a prof in there at Prof Denon Michael. What about you, Ben? Where can people find you? You can find me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? Spell that B S I E P S E R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. And if you have a question you want to send to the show, guess what? It's questions at FGGBT.com. And if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform, whether it's being piped into your artificial womb or listened to live, um, then make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs> And if you're watching us on YouTube, hit the like button, subscribe, and ring that bell so you never miss an episode. Now, we've given you lots of information here. Uh, Some of it you may not be able to handle, but we've given you a lot. And it's something that it can be misused, clearly misused by those hell-bent on world domination. Now, it is your duty to take what we give you and do good with it. Now, remember, you always want to be a superhero, never a supervillain. I may reconsider that. Sometimes you want to be a supervillain if it's for the greater good. Uh, but consider your options is what I'm saying. Uh, but so until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn.
The fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, ftriplegbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there ftriplegbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.